So I know nobody uses those phrases, but that is what it is. So I joked the other day, I didn't know if Texas A&M was going to occur a luxury tax, you know, and um, how much they paid for their signing class. What's been on your mind? So you stacked ten, top ten classes together now for four years in a row. I don't think there was ever even two before that. So do you kind of consider it a slap in the face or whatever when there's these thoughts out there that Very. it's because a lot of money is being spent and just your thoughts? Here's what I'm going to say, and this is point blank. This is point blank to the because here, here's here's my problem. There is no thirty million dollar fund. There is no five million. There is no ten. This is garbage, okay? And it does. It pisses me off that people. And here, it comes from a site called Bro Bible by a guy named Slice Bread. Then everybody runs with it. So it's written on the internet, it's gospel. How irresponsible is that? It, it, it's, it's an absolute joke that people put the hard work in and do it. It's irresponsible, but it's funny when they get it, it's all okay. Ball games are changing, man. And it ain't because of NIL and what goes on. It's pretty irresponsible of all of them. They're clowns. Go next if they got a problem with it, come see me. I ain't a hard guy to find. We'll be in some meetings. You can say anything you want. We can do anything you want. I ain't got no problem with it. I promise you that shit. Welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, do we got a show lined up for you guys. We got my buddy Keith Alsep of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Going to stop by here in a bit to talk some South Carolina Gamecock football. We're going to touch on Texas A&M. Got some news for them. Florida, even a little Georgia sprinkled in there. So going to be a great show. But uh, hey, a little interaction I just had before I hopped on the line here. And just a message I want to get out to everybody because this was just a one-on-one. I had a a fan DM me and he was kind of a little bit bothered, I guess you could say, that, uh, you know, not doing enough to cover his team and I hear you I'm just one guy I try to pick up as much news as I can and deliver it to the audience but you know had a little healthy exchange with them and you know I certainly know I could always do a better job covering the entire SEC but you know let me pose it to the audience this way if you guys got a question for us feel free to send us questions you have about your team or angles you want us to cover and that really goes a long way, particularly in the off season, to keep the show fresh, to get some insight from you guys on what you want covered with your teams. So just keep in mind, don't ask us any baseball or basketball because we are in way over our head. Hell, we're in we're in over our head covering football. Trust me. But if you got a football question on your team, we're not doing a, a good enough job covering it. Send it. Send us your comments, complaints, hate mail, whatever you want to call it. Either DM us or hit us up on uh, our Gmail, that SEC podcast at gmail.com. We're happy to uh, talk any subject you want as long as you just stick to football. So just wanted to get the word out there because we really are just trying to deliver the best SEC podcast that we can for you guys. So just keep that in mind. If, uh, you know, maybe you want us to talk something specific on your team, shoot us a line and we'll get that done. But hey, on with the show. And as always, if we can have something fun to start the show with, that's what we're going to lead off with. And this was just phenomenal content here from the troll master Lane Kiffin. 
there was a picture if I don't know if you've seen it I'll throw it up here on the YouTube I'll I'll throw it up on the YouTube if you're watching but there's a picture going around Mike Leach Dion Sanders and Mike Leach happy to share this photo in the podcast unnecessary roughness of uh, Barstool they said the two best coaches in the state of Mississippi right here and Lane Kiffin saw that and what he do he tweeted out a picture of the Egg Bowl trophy to let them know who's the real best coach in <laughs> the state of Mississippi at least going by Egg, egg Bowl records you got to give it to Kiffin he's 2-0 and in the rivalry game that uh, matters so much to that state but I just thought that was phenomenal this is uh thank you thank you Lane for continuing to give us some off-season content here but <laughs> moving on to college station giga maggies we have been talking a lot of aggies here but hey they've been in the news early and often and the, the latest thing not the greatest because another defection to the transfer portal this time you know following uh damon demas was uh, went into the portal here earlier this week now another former five-star recruit baylor cup was uh, the number one tight end prospect i believe in the 2020 recruiting cycle and unfortunately for cup he's not even seen the field for the aggies he's had two season ending injuries in lead-ups to seasons and here with uh texas a&m one of their deepest positions the tight end position just signed another top tight end jake johnson of course the brother of max johnson now we see baylor cup entering the portal and as always we got to note just because he's in the portal doesn't mean that uh, you know his his career's done at Texas A&M. He could take his name right out of it as well. But a, a really talented player that's just been his career's been ravaged by injuries to this point. Hope the best for Baylor Cup and uh, and hope he makes it onto the field one day because uh, you know that'd be a lot of wasted talent if he never got to showcase it at the college football level. But sticking here with Texas A&M real quick. And a little bit of Georgia. We're going to have a little bit more Georgia talking here in a minute. But potentially more good news for the Aggies because, you know, we all know they got the uh, number one recruiting class in the country, the best signing class in the history of the Internet era. Could be getting better here on Friday because a five-star defensive lineman, Labius Overton, who's uh, currently rated the number 18 overall prospect, number five defensive lineman in the country. Little unique story. He was a 2023 prospect, reclassified to 2022. Now he's set to make his decision. And Texas A&M, Georgia, his finalist out of the SEC. He's a Georgia native from Alpharetta. But he is making his college decision Friday on ESPN2, at 3 o'clock Eastern, 2 o'clock Central during a uh, National High School Basketball Tournament. So Overton, the five-star, is going to make his decision. And if it's the Aggies, my goodness, just throw another five-star onto the recruiting class that the Aggies just had. And, whew. I mean, it's kind of scary to think of what that Texas A&M defensive line potentially is going to look like Again, the best recruiting class in the country could be ad adding a five-star here in just a couple of days. And <laughs> good luck blocking all these guys. That's all I got to say to uh, SEC offensive lines. But, hey, we talk about Baylor Cup. Let's kick it next to Gainesville. They are in desperate need of some tight ends. So 
I'm not saying it's going to happen, but maybe Baylor Cup makes his way to the Florida Gators. Uh, the Gators are down to one healthy tight end at the moment, Keon Zipper, who's a very talented prospect, but the Gators have been so ravaged by injuries at the tight end position. They've, they've moved defensive lineman Dante Zanders, outside linebacker Noah Keeter, and defensive lineman Griffin McDowell to tight end just to get through spring practice. And why is that such a big deal? You normally, you know, we're so far away from the season. Not a huge, huge deal for the Gators. But as uh, Bud Davis, give him a follow at J. Bud Davis points out, college football analytics guy that I really like to follow. Billy Napier's offense at Louisiana was one of the nation's leader in 12 personnel. And if you don't know what that means, that means two tight ends on the field, one running back. So you safe to assume that's kind of what they're going to want to do at Florida, provided they have the personnel to do it. And, and clearly you got this many defensive players swishing the tight end. Again, that should give you added emphasis on just how big the tight end position is for Billy Napier's offense. So they're going to be looking, you, ha you have to assume, in the transfer portal. They've got a couple signees coming in, not there yet. So, you know, it's not doom and gloom, and, and as Shane Beamer would say, but uh, this is something that uh, – situation that needs to be monitored here. I think the Florida Gators are going to have to add some depth at that position to, to get where Billy Napier wants it to go. But so I just wanted to make that note, but Hey, it's not all bad here in Florida because it seems like we got us a re-energized, refocused Brenton Cox, Florida Gators defensive lineman who is yet to really live up to his potential down there in Gainesville. Of course, played at Georgia for a little bit and transferred during a training camp, if I'm not mistaken, but he is uh, setting his sights on the Florida school sack record this season, which is 13. So let's kick it over to Brenton Cox real quick on uh, what his goals and aspirations are for the upcoming season. When into your decision to come back? Um, I just felt like I had more to do. Um, last year was tough for me because of my foot, so I just felt like I had more in the tank and more to prove. And I'm going to um, try to beat the sack record this year, 13. So the ones that I could have gone hard on, you know, I, I took off. And I can honestly say I took off a couple plays, but I'm here to make it up. Zach records in your sights, what, uh, what's it going to take from you to do? I mean, you feel like if you just play to your potential, that, that should come? Yeah, right now, you know, I'm going for a sack, a sack every half. So, you know, if I do that, you know, I'm going to pass those numbers. But, you know, right now I'm just trying to beat the sack record. And that's just going out there and playing hard every play. You have fun to see a sack of half, man. I'd yeah. love to cover that. See a sack of half? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that wouldn't be bad, you know. <laughs> you know, I try to work that hard to get that. But, um, yeah, that's what we're going for, either a sack of game or a sack of half. Either way, I got to get it. What gives, you that, I'm sorry, Nick, what gives you that confidence? I mean, you're, we, we heard from the time you got here that you, your first step was like people were, like, taken aback by it. Yeah, um, I always had the confidence, you know, uh, just coming off the edge so much, you just feel like nobody can stop you, you know. And, you know, that showed that Florida State game when I had four sacks. It showed the UCF game when I ended up with, like, four tackle for losses. So my first step is really good, but I feel like I got more to prove and more to, like, show people because I can do more than just come off the ball hard, you know. I can give you a move, too, after that. So, yeah, I'm just here to show it, show it so off. Some interesting and transparent comments from Cox there. It's, it's not often you hear a player say, you know, he didn't give it at all his all last season and – that was kind of the state of the Florida Gators program last season, no doubt. Not everybody was giving their all, and that's got to change in a hurry. 
if Billy Napier is going to have success, and particularly right out the gate with the schedule that we've hit on so many times, Utah at home, Kentucky at home, and then week four at Tennessee. I thought this was an interesting comment here from uh, John Wilner of the Pac-12 Hotline. He was on the Paul Feinbaum show here on Wednesday. He is picking Utah to win the Pac-12. He's, you know, Everybody's all aboard the uh, Lincoln-Riley Southern Cal train here, but the guy that covers the league well says Utah is the favorite in his mind. And, of course, you know they opened the season in the swamp. And when I saw this, it made me realize this is a no-lose situation, I think, for Billy Napier. I mean, I, I know the, the expectations are sky high. Florida Gators demand championships. They demand excellence. But you're going to be going into a season opener where, I guess, a Utah team coming off a Rose Bowl appearance where I would say the vast majority of people are going to be picking Utah to go on the road and knock off the Florida Gators. So what has Billy Napier and company got to lose? If you lose the football game, that's exactly what everyone predicted would happen. If you find a way to win, which let's not kid ourselves, that's not unrealistic to think. Team traveling all the from the other side of the country, hell, we can sing the praises of Pac-12 favorites, all this. They still ain't get, they're not going to have as much talent as the Florida Gators that put on the field on September 3rd, week one. So if Florida can find a way to win that game, a re-energize and, and just a, a fan base ready to explode is just going to do that all the more that, uh, you know, thinking that they hired their savior here in Billy Napier. So a no-lose situation, in my opinion, week one, right out the gate, Florida Gators hosting the Utah Utes. Everyone's going to be picking against you except for the diehards. And you've got a real opportunity here to win over the entire fan base if you if you don't have it already there, if you're Billy Napier. Next, let's kick it on down to Columbia. Shane Beamer met with the media here on Tuesday, this was. And we're going to kick to our interview here with Keith Alsap in just a moment here. But I just thought this was interesting. Shane Beamer heading into year two in Columbia, learning his team. What has he learned about his Gamecock team with South Carolina at the midway point of spring camp? Near the midpoint of spring ball right now. Just what do you feel, what do you feel like you've learned about your team through these first two, two and a half weeks? And what would you like to see improve as you get closer to the spring game? Oh, man. Definitely have learned that they love to, um, that they love to practice. You know, they love to compete. They really do. And, and that's important. You guys know how much we talk about competition at all times in this program, but I mean, they, um, they love to, they love to compete and get after it. I mean, there's like the, the energy, like I said, has been fantastic. So they enjoy being out there, uh, on the field as, uh, as well. And, uh, you know, I think the biggest thing going into the last half of it is continuing to progress because the newer guys, we do have a lot of young faces, obviously, and, and new faces with transfers and things like that. So let's, you know, continue to get them acclimated and comfortable in what we're doing. And then let's also try and figure out, you know, who uh, we feel like is going to be able to to help us, you know, in roles uh, going forward, whether it be offense, defense, special teams. Uh, we have a general idea with the returning players as far as what they can do. But, um, you know, let's see who that the next group of guys is going to really take a step up and, and, and show that they can have a significant role on the team here going forward. 
So we all know South Carolina, the expectations with this Gamecock fan base are, are just through the roof after the seven-win season, winning in the postseason. Now the team looks to be a lot better across the board here entering year two, and I just felt like those comments would kind of kick that momentum for forward just a little bit more heading into our interview here with Keith Allsap. And I, I want to make a quick note. I tried to clean up this audio as best as I could, but it starts out fine and it ends fine. But in the middle there, I think on his end, the audio quality is not great. I do apologize, but again, it picks up, uh, it's crystal clear at the end of it. So I'm uh, sorry about uh, the audio quality. I'm not sure what happened, but just through the recording process, there were some issues there with uh, the recording process. But let's kick it over to Keith Alsap, host of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. All right, we're pleased to uh, once again be joined by my guy, Keith Alsap. He runs the Go To Gamecock podcast. He's the host of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. You give Keith a follow at K Alsap and give the podcast a follow at Gamecock Pod. Keith, thank you so much for joining me once again. I, I always love our chats here. Oh, me too. It's just uh, a pleasure to be uh, in your, you know, among your greatness as the dean of SP Podcast. <laughs> well, I appreciate the kind words, Keith, but uh, obviously I stick to football. That's what, uh, you know, has my attention 365. But I do want to ask you, because I know you're a big uh, women's basketball fan, and it's a huge, huge week for Don Staley and company. Uh, I just wanted to get your thoughts real quick. Do you think the Gamecocks are going to cut down the nets there in, in Minneapolis? Well, I mean, they have been the number one team all season long in the history uh, of the AP poll. 11 women's basketball teams have been ranked number one wire to wire. Okay, from the first poll to the last poll. Ten of those became national champions. And so the odds are in their favor, but I've said this uh, since February, South Carolina will only go as far as their starting backcourt can take them. They've got to be able to make shots. Uh, Destiny Henderson did that against Creighton. Uh, they were kind of the Cinderella team. South Carolina beat them 80-50, to 50 and Zaya Cook only took four shots. She didn't score any points, but she played great defense. But somebody other than Aaliyah Boston's going to have to make shots for South Carolina to cut down the nets. And, uh, you know, once you get to the Final Four, Michael, it's uh, two one-game seasons. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's just the way it is. And so... I like South Carolina's chance to get to the final on Sunday night. They beat Stanford back in December. They uh, blitzed UConn when they were healthy uh, in November. And so, you know, as we all saw in the SEC tournament, anything can happen. Uh, but you have to like their chances. You got the best player in the country and you probably got the deepest and most talented roster in the country. Uh, but it, it all comes down to a one game season. It's uh survive in advance or you go home. Well, I know the SEC will be rooting for the Gamecocks there in Minneapolis and Gamecock fans. Hopefully this is just the start of a championship 
year for you there in Columbia. So let's transition to football. Spring football, of course, going on right now. The second year under Shane Beamer. Based on what you've seen, what you've heard, where do you think uh, the biggest growth Shane Beamer has made in his second season as a head coach leading the, uh, the South Carolina program is? Well, I think the biggest thing is, is from what I've been told and, and what's been relayed to me is Shane Beamer is much more comfortable, much more assertive uh, in his role. Last year, he really didn't know his team during spring practice. Uh, he really didn't have a feel for even his coordinators at that point. Uh, now, I think the players and Shane Beamer both uh, are more comfortable with each other, and they all come to practice knowing what to expect. And so I think just from an energy standpoint, uh, you hear that a lot from people that are inside the building, the energy level and practice. Players love coming to practice. Uh, the, the positivity is still in place. The culture continues to grow. And so I think you know, big picture, that would be uh, my biggest takeaway. But as far as on the field, I mean, the biggest change is at the quarterback position with Spencer Rattler. Um, you know, last year it was Luke Doty and it was Jason Brown, who was a Division three player. Uh, Brown didn't get to practice much because of uh, health and safety protocols. Uh, Luke Doty was a true sophomore who had split time at quarterback and wide receiver as a freshman. A brand new offense, a new system, but now you bring in Spencer Rattler, and it's, while it's a new system for him, uh, that's a, a very experienced quarterback and elite arm talent and a guy that is pro football focuses number three returning college quarterback behind Alabama's Heisman Trophy winner and the guy that beat him out who has since also left Oklahoma and transferred to Southern Cal and Caleb Williams. Yeah, so safe to say that uh, the Gamecocks are getting everything they hoped for when they got Spencer Rattler uh, based on what, I, I mean, I know it's early, but a couple weeks into camp. And, uh, I mean, it's there's no chance in hell he's not the starting quarterback as long as he's healthy, is there? Yeah, I mean, people keep asking that question, like, when are you going to name a starting quarterback? And my response would be, hey, Captain Obvious, spoiler alert, it's going to be Spencer Rattler, okay? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just the bottom line. I mean, barring an injury, you know, by all accounts, Spencer Rattler has uh, come in and worked extremely hard with the team in the winter program. Uh a lot of the guys have gravitated towards him. He's been a great teammate, an excellent leader, uh, and by all accounts, you know, just a big-time arm talent. Yeah, no doubt, and he's got something to prove, but uh, which should only help his game if, if he puts in the work this offseason. But someone else there in Columbia that's got a lot to prove, particularly to that fan base, is uh, Marcus Satterfield, of course, the offensive coordinator, very rough debut, but you know I'm not I'm not asking you to say he's going to be the best offensive coordinator in the country or anything. But is there a chance that uh, now with a, a, a big time quarterback 
added weapons at receiver and tight end. I think they, they really like the depth at running back. The offensive line is going to remain a question mark until we see it. But, you know, assuming those pieces fall into place, maybe uh, do you think we it was maybe a little bit of a rush to judgment on Marcus Satterfield? And do you think he could have a big bounce back here given uh, all the tools he'll have to work with this season? Well, I mean, I was very open about my criticism of Marcus Satterfield. Uh, I probably would not have brought him back, but then again, he was not in my wedding. So, um, I mean, look, when it's, when you're trying to bring an NFL system, uh, when you only spend a year in the NFL yourself, and that's the highest level job you have, I think the hope, and I think what you have to hope for if you're a Gamecock fan, is Marcus Satterfield learned a lot during his first season as offensive coordinator. Certainly, uh, the you know his coaches learned a lot. Hopefully, you know there was some division. There was you know some stuff that wasn't great that went on behind the scenes. Uh, between him and how he treated some of the offensive staff. Uh, They had a closed-door meeting where Shane Beamer came in and locked the door, and they aired all their grievances, kind of like Festivus, you know, the airing (laughs) of grievances. And uh, they worked it all out. And so you have to hope, number one, that he learned how to become a better offensive coordinator. You do have the comfort level with all the returning players on the system being in place. So they're not all, you know, learning how to build an airplane Mm -hmm. from scratch. Yeah. And then certainly said, you know, adding Spencer Rattler, Austin Stogner, uh, Antoine Juice Wells, a record setting receiver from, James Madison, you know, the running back room. Yes, they lost to Quandre White and Kevin Harris, but Marshawn Lloyd looks like that five-star guy that he was coming out of high school now. Kristen Beal Smith comes in from Wake Forest, and a guy named Rashad Amos, who missed last season with an injury, he's back. And he's a big, fast, powerful man, 6'2", 225 pounds, and so he's in the mix. And then Juju McDowell, who was spectacular in the bowl game, he returns as well as Lavoisier Carroll, who was a top 100 uh, recruit, who was a running back. And when he got to Georgia, Kirby Smart tried to make a cornerback out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you hit on Marshawn Lloyd there. I think that's a guy that, uh, you know, clearly South Carolina fans know all about. But I think the rest of the SEC may have kind of forgotten about him two years removed from his uh, tough knee injury. Do you think this is the year he finally breaks out? Because I'm I'm sitting here thinking with Spencer Rattler and potentially, you know, a huge, huge breakout season coming from Marshawn Lloyd, all of a sudden South Carolina's got – man, they're, they're cooking right there if they got that. Well, I mean, certainly you have to hope for more consistent offensive line play. Like, you can't just take the game against the Florida quitters – uh, Auburn a little bit, and then North Carolina, who basically had the you know, bullfighter OA defense. I mean, teams were running up basketball numbers on them, which 
of course, our basketball school, and usually after October, leaves football stadium and goes blue-white. But South Carolina certainly needs better offensive line play and more consistent offensive line play. The good news is, is everybody finished the season back, and they have seven players who have started multiple games on the offensive line. Now, let me ask you about Jaheim Bell, because it seems like, for whatever reason, he may have been the most underutilized player on the team last year, and when they did get him involved, I mean, he was sensational. What's the deal there? And, um, you know, do you look for him to be utilized a lot more in the offensive season? I do. And Jim Bell was underutilized. I mean, he is, he's kind of a bigger version of Debo Samuel. I mean, he's this guy, 230 pounds. Uh, Torres, senior year in high school, when he came in, uh, he had to have a meniscus repair done. So he was much of a factor through freshman season in 2020. Uh, this past year, they used him exclusively tied in, uh, even though many other members of the office coaching staff thought he should be flexed out and even you know, put in the spot which the kid and Jordan played most of the time until the bowl game. But I think he, you know, got a good taste of what Jaheim Bell can do in the bowl game. I mean, two big explosive plays for touchdowns, uh, you know, 15, 20-yard run on the first play uh, from scrimmage. I mean, this is a guy that had been committed to Florida. I mean, he was a big-time recruit out of Alabama, Georgia, and a guy that I think you have to call him a joke, right? Like he's a wild card. You should give him some touches at running back. You should move him all over the place as H back, the slot, outside. I mean, that's a big thing I want to see for Marcus in the field. How can you utilize a guy like you know, maybe I want to talk to uh, Kyle Shanahan, the 49ers, about that and how they use Debo Samuel because, you know, this guy is the best playmaker on South Carolina's campus and you've got to get him involved more than, you know, one time, one catch, two catches, and then two or three weeks in a row, no catch. They've got to get him involved. He's, you know, Sticks to touch every week. Now, I think uh, Clayton White, hell, I didn't even know who he was when he got the South Carolina job, but he just did a remarkable job taking a, a defense that I know, you know, we live in, we have such a short term memories, but under Will Muschamp, I mean, the, the, the defense was just dreadful. And last season, for much of the season, I'd say they were the better unit uh, there in Columbia. So, how do they go from good to great? on that side of the ball in Columbia this season under Clayton White in, in year two? I think it's just like the offense. I think you have to hope, you know, for more consistency. Uh, you know, they were great against the run against some teams. And then like Missouri and Clemson, they just ran it, you know, right down their throats. And I think part of it was just the linebacker play. I think South Carolina's defensive line uh, you know, was really good most of the time. Linebackers, 
you know, Missouri runs that outside zone and, you know, Damani Staley, who stepped in after Sherrod Green's injury in the Georgia game, you know, he was the primary middle linebacker. And if you're asking that guy to, you know, get outside the tackle box and make plays, he just can't do it. Now, Sherrod Green uh, got an extra year. He's back. He's healthy. He's working out at linebacker. Uh, there are some younger guys in the mix there. But I think for me, the biggest key for run defense is going to be improved linebacker play. South Carolina has to be better uh, at identifying runs, gap integrity with the linebackers. And then in the SEC, you've got to have guys that can get there. If a guy takes a false step and he's a 4'8 or 4'9 guy in the 40, odds are he's not going to get there. You've got to have big-time athletes at linebacker, particularly when you run a nickel defense and predominantly only use two linebackers. Now, this offseason, Keith, I I mean, you could make the argument for South Carolina, Tennessee, Kentucky. I would even throw Florida, you know, because they got talent, and I think they got a good coaching staff in there now. Of those four, can you make the case for the audience of why South Carolina will finish with a better record than uh, anybody in the East uh, with the exceptional course of Georgia? And, hell, it, I got my questions about Georgia. I, I, everybody's penciling them in back to Atlanta. Uh, I'm not ready to go quite that far. So make the case for uh, South Carolina taking that big jump in year two. All right. So generally when South Carolina has Kentucky and Vanderbilt on the road, although Kentucky has certainly become problematic for South Carolina over the last decade, that's when you have the easier schedule. Missouri comes to Columbia, South Carolina. Tennessee comes to Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, Georgia and Texas A&M will come to Columbia. You know, Arkansas, they lost a lot of guys in the portal, but you go there early. And so Arkansas and A&M are your two Western opponents. Then you're at Vanderbilt and you're at Kentucky. And so for me, with Spencer Rattler, Jaheim Bell, with all the weapons uh, in place, you know, at running back, wide receiver, I think South Carolina will probably get a commitment uh, right after their spring game from Arkansas State transfer receiver Corey Rucker. He'll come in in the summer. You know, Josh Van is back. Like I said, you returned seven guys who've started a lot of games on that offensive line. And you brought back a lot of players on defense. Cam Smith was pro football focus's number one returning cornerback. They shored up the safety position with Devonnie Reed, a transfer from Central Michigan that had offers from Texas and most of the SEC. I mean, there's a lot to like about this team. That's a veteran team. And when you add an elite quarterback and more playmakers, that makes your entire outlook different. I mean, you look at teams in the National Football League, even in the SEC, I mean, outside of Georgia, 
which could not beat Alabama, by the way, when their wide receivers were healthy in the SEC championship game. If you have an elite quarterback, I mean, over 90% of the time, the team with a better quarterback wins. I don't know, you know, how many times Spencer Rattler will not be the best quarterback on the field. And I think that is what gives South Carolina, along with a, you know, plethora of veteran players returning on offense, defense, and special teams, a great chance to potentially finish second in the East. All right, last thing for you, Keith. So I don't want to overlook that Arkansas game that you referenced because Arkansas is a good team. And, go, I mean, hell, Texas Longhorns found out real quick how tough Razorback Stadium is, particularly at night. We don't know when that game will take place. But, you know, moving just one game ahead on that, Georgia comes to williams Bryce Stadium. And, you know, like you said, there's questions about Georgia, particularly Stetson Bennett's going to have to carry that team. And this is a guy that uh, leading up to the national championship game, the fan base was was done with him. Now now he's a hero. I get it. He won. But it's pretty bizarre how anytime I question Stetson Bennett, it's like they forget that they doubted him for 14, 15 games. But what percentage would you give the Gamecocks to pull that upset week three, Williams-Brice Stadium, Georgia coming to town, and let's not act like this South Carolina team, this program, hell, they, they upset North Carolina, they upset Auburn, they upset Florida. I mean, this is a, a team that already knows how to get that done. Uh, what percentage chance, given what we know right now, would you give South Carolina to pull that upset early in the season? I mean, look, you got to give the devil their due. Kirby Smart is now a national championship coach. He beat Nick Saban in the national championship game. But at the same time, they are losing a ton of guys. I mean, they may have five or six first-round draft picks, uh, as well as, you know, losing a George Pickens. He's gone to the NFL draft. You know, Steve Spurrier used to always say, yeah, well, I like playing Georgia the first two or three games of the year because usually they'd have four or five guys suspended. So, you know, maybe if, uh, you know, uh, that holds to form and, and Georgia's missing some players, you know, I'd still probably say one in five. I mean, that'd be, you know, one in five chance. I mean, I, until South Carolina shows that they are an explosive offense, until they show that they can stop the run against a big-time program, it's hard for me to pick it. I mean, I do think that there's a lot mm -hmm. to like about this team, but I still have questions about Marcus Satterfield, and I still have questions about – how good the linebacker play is going to be. And until those questions are answered, yeah, I, I can't pick that upset. I got you. Well, we're going out on a low note. I, I, th I was waiting for you to go all in, guarantee the upset here. But uh, uh, I understand. I mean, hell, we're talking arguably the most talented roster in college football. So, I won't hold that against you, but you'll be changing your tune come September. I'll, I'll wait for Keith to predict that one, but 
He's Keith Allsap, host of the Locked On Gamecocks podcast. Don't forget to give him a follow at K Allsap, and don't forget to check out the podcast at the Gamecock Pod. Keith, thank you so, so much for joining me. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. My pleasure as always, and thanks for not playing Rocky Top. All right, so just want to say thanks again to Keith for joining the show. As always, had him on a number of times, and he's going to have me back on his show very soon, he says. But uh, I love having those conversations with Keith. You know, he's completely unfiltered. He <laughs> shoots from the hip, and, uh, you know, that's what we try to do here as well. So I just really appreciate Keith taking the time here in the middle of the week, in the middle of South Carolina's camp to uh, talk some Gamecock football. Now, last thing here. And this is going to be brief, but I just wanted to kick to uh, Athens real quick where defensive back William Poole decided to come back for another season. And, you know, we just win national championships in the SEC. That's what we do. And since we've been doing this thing, LSU won in 2019. Alabama won it in 2020. Georgia Bulldogs, of course, kicked down the door and won it last season. And... <laughs> Fans, you get to hold those bragging rights all offseason long, get to hold your head up high, wear the championship gear. Hell, wear it every day. If I, if my school won the national championship, I don't think I'd take that gear off the entire offseason. But I just thought uh, Georgia fans would really appreciate William Poole's thoughts on the epic pick six play against Alabama that sealed the deal and let every Bulldog in the country know their team is going to win the national championship. Blaine, what was your perspective on the way pick six? What was going through your mind on that play? Uh, what was going through my mind on that play was, oh, they throwing the ball towards me. Uh, <laughs> that's what it looked like it was coming, but uh, it was kind of an overthrown ball. And once I seen Keeley catch the ball, all I could think was, we did it. That's all I thought. And uh, he, the way he sealed it out with the touchdown run and everything, it made it, they made it great. Uh, all right, so I just figured that'd be a great way to end the show. But, uh, hey, we got one more coming this week. Another great guest lined up. First-time guest. We're going to talk some Texas A&M football here to close the week strong. But I appreciate each and every one of you for hanging out. As always, we'll catch you on the next one.